This is TLDR Podcast, where we talk sports, MLB, NHLs, NBAs, pop culture, and nobody understands Westworld, and more. Top 10 alcoholic beverages. With your hosts, Alex. Yeah, boy. Eric. Yo. James. The San Francisco 49ers, best team in the league. Traded. Right. Oh, the- sit down, bud. And Tyler. Oh, damn where we do the research and trash-talking for you. What kind of cockamamie bullshit is Adam Silver thinking? <laughs> they're playing super hot right now, and they're... It's they're not finishing. Going. It's the middle of the season. Oh, I understand that, but I'm saying that they're, they're moving towards that. Welcome to TLDR Podcast, presented by Anchor. Hello, everybody, and welcome to TLDR Podcast, uh, episode 68. I wish I was hosting next weekend because you know why, but we are on episode 68 right now. Uh, um, ha, you got that one, Traden? Just a little late um, Thinker. I am officially changing my team name in fantasy football to Fuck Fantasy. <laughs> because I am now O and f- I will be O and five unless Blankenship gets like twenty more points tonight for the Colts. Um, you know, I, current grudges have been formed. Miles Sanders, AJ Brown, they are now on the grudge list for me. Um, it only took five weeks, but uh, James, how you doing? I saw you yesterday. I'm good, man. I am tired. Work is still super tough. But uh, you guys are all watching baseball. I'm watching football. And this game for football right now is pretty intense. Ravens were up big. Or Ravens were down big to the Colts. Now they're going to overtime. So Lamar Jackson and Mark Andrews making some magic. It's good. Makes me not as tired anymore. Nice. Gain energy from the game that is at stake in front of you. Um, Alex, how you doing, man? How is life treating you? And you are currently watching your baseball team in the playoffs. So life is hopefully good. Yeah. This is the first game of the series. I've been able to like sit down and actually watch the whole thing. Um, you know, we're down one Oh right now, but Dodgers, you know, hopefully perform some magic coming up here pretty soon. Uh, other than that, I'm also pretty sleepy, uh, but I took a nap today. So that was clutch. Uh, but other than that, I'm great. Nice, man. Yeah. I mean, fall season is amongst us. We are, everyone's tired from working a bunch and uh, baseball playoffs are going. Um, Tyler, I saw you last night. You scored a goal in the last like 20 seconds of the game to pad your stats. You son of a bitch. Um, Good job. How are you doing? Yeah, I had to, you know, uh, two games in the season, two goals. So not a big deal. Yeah, not a big deal. Um, yeah, no, do, do, doing well. Uh, I also had today off, so had a nice relaxing day. Went on a little hike, got some pizza and beer, came home, watching baseball. So it's been a good day. Uh, been a good week. Obviously, we're in the thick of things with postseason baseball, so we'll talk more about that later. But October is such a fun sports month. I love it. Yeah, thick season. Um, Trading, last but not least, uh, you set me up for two different chances to score last night and I didn't score I blew my my load in the first game but uh I saw you yesterday how you doing I'm good um tomorrow is a big day for the NHL um it's a double header on ESPN so we'll see how ESPN takes having the uh the NHL back for the first time in over 20 years um I'm pretty excited for that baseball is really good today's been 
pretty crazy. Um, my boy just is coming in to, uh, to relieve Alex Wood, which is, ex- which is exciting. So go Tyler Rogers. Love watching you pitch. Um, but yeah, everything's good, man. Yeah, that's good. Good to hear. Um, funny, quick story. Uh, you guys would probably all appreciate it. I was in Chico one of the years the Giants won the World Series and it was their first game against uh, the Royals, I believe. And in that same night was the uh, puck drop of the NHL for the season. It was King Sharks first game of the season. And uh, I went to the Banshee and every TV had that Giants game on. It was their first game of the World Series. I'm like, can we just change this one over here to uh, King Sharks, you know? And then like uh, some guy came in, he was furious. Like, what is this hockey on the TV right now? Like it's fucking World Series Giants baseball. I'm like, yeah, but it's King Sharks game one, Giants in a World Series. No one cares. So, yeah, there's there's my Yeah, story. I think you're losing that one like 10 times out of 10. Yeah, everyone actually was heated at me, but I thought it was funny. <laughs> um, anyways, yeah, so uh, we got we got a lot of good stuff for you guys this week. Um, when we return, Traden is going to get into the holy puck moments. Um and, you know, as we just said, we got puck drop coming tomorrow for you guys at the NHL season. So we'll talk to you guys when we get back. Holy, f- I mean, holy puck. We are back, everybody. Um, Traden is going to get right into the holy puck moments uh, for the NHL, which begins tomorrow. Right yes, here. sir. Um, this, so this is a new series for me. Um, as uh, as um, um, Jesus Christ, as Eric uh, brought in, holy puck moments is here to stay and here to here to go uh, for week one of the NHL season. Um, tomorrow we we see a puck drop um, for a double header on ESPN for the first time in a very very long time. Yes, so that's extremely exciting. Um, even just watching the, the listening to the intro music for for the NHL and ESPN is something that is it, it just gives me chills. Um, anyway, we're just gonna get into to some hot button um, news around the league. Um, so this this first one we're gonna talk about did happen. Probably could have talked about it last week, but do, you know, considering we were dealing with the uh, divisional breakdowns, I had to push it to this week. But uh, Robin Leonard came out to speak about uh, malpractice by um, the medical teams in the NHL. Um, not just, I don't, it doesn't seem like it was necessarily towards the Vegas Golden Knights particular, but it was kind of overarching. And he actually called out a couple of coaches, included, including Elaine Vigneault of the, uh, of the Philadelphia Flyers, interestingly enough. Um, and he just came out saying, you know, teams have a tendency to give, you know, painkillers off to, you know, to players and just letting them, you know, deal with their, deal with their issues. Um, on top of that, he did have some, some, I guess, had an opinion towards the Jack Eichel incident, considering Jack Eichel is in a, is in a battle between a surgery that he wants to get and a surgery that his team wants to get. Um, the CBA protects the teams more than it probably should admittedly. Um, but Alex, you know, this has been an interesting story and he, and Robin Leonard actually did end up going and, having a chat with the NHL and it seemed like it was pretty good, but um, first of all, what do you, what do you have to say about these kind of accusations? Like, does it, do you have an opinion about them? Does it kind of bring something up that it, it does it intrigue you in any way? And do you think this is going to be a distraction for, for Robin Leonard and the Vegas golden Knights for, you know, at least to the start of the season? 
I mean, it's definitely an interesting story. Who knows? I would assume there's at least some, you know, facts about this story out there. You know, I don't know. Obviously, none of us really know what Robin Leonard is, if this claiming is 100% true or not. It wouldn't surprise me all that much. I mean, obviously, there's a lot of money in professional sports. Giving painkillers to your players, maybe help them play, win, you know, playoff shares, advertising money, all that stuff. So it's it wouldn't surprise me. It's a little disappointing if that is true. Um, obviously, hockey is a very dangerous sport. And there's been a, you know, within the last 15 years, a lot of change in the game to help protect player safety definitely than there was before. So this is a little disappointing, I guess, if this is coming out um, because, you know, just giving players painkillers just when they're sore or hurting maybe isn't the best idea ever, you know, depending on what those painkillers are and what the specific injury is. Um, as, you know, as for a dis distraction, Robin Leonard's always been a pretty outspoken guy. Um, he's already been a distraction, like with this Vegas team, with, you know, his kind of like, not really battle with Flurry, but whether he should be starting, whether he shouldn't. I mean, I don't know. Vegas is a weird town. Like it probably would be a bigger distraction if it was like Toronto or Montreal or somewhere. But Vegas, I kind of feel like it will, it might die down a little quicker. But I mean, who knows? It could he could have lost trust of his teammates or the coaching staff or the front office. And that could be super detrimental because, I mean, obviously the Knights are kind of banking on Leonard being a star when they let flurry, you know, pretty much traded him for nothing. So I don't, I don't think it will end up being too much of a distraction, but it definitely could. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of a, it, it, it it's kind of a double-edged sword. I mean, I, I understand exactly where Robin Leonard is coming from bringing up these accusations, whether, whether or not he did it in the correct way, we can argue any day of the week, but at the end of the day, you know, this is what, he, this is what he quoted was quoted saying, it's not easy to do this, but I had a great talk with the NHL and the NHL PA over the last day. I'm excited for the potential change to be made and uh, to made to protect a younger generation. This is something I've been advocating for, for years, and I'm encouraged about their approach that they want to take. So this is, I mean, he clearly, he got his message through and that's good um, to, to Alex, to your point, and hopefully it dies down and, and, and they, oh, I guess, depending on if you're a Vegas fan or not hoping it dies down or it doesn't. Um, but all in all, it is very interesting. And it actually does tie right into our, our next discussion, which, um, which kind of shocked the NHL world and especially the Montreal Canadiens world. Carey Price checked himself into the NHL player assistance program. Um, we don't really, I mean, I guess I haven't really seen any poignant reason why yet, but presumably, you know, um, from, from a go former goalie coach of his, who, you know, is very close to him. He says that it, it has to do with, you know, Carey Price being very much about other people over himself to, to his detriment, you know, his family, his teammates, uh, and the franchise of the Habs, which is arguably, if not actually, I wouldn't even argue is probably the hardest organization to play for at this point. Um, you know, he went through a very fast, um, Stanley cup final loss. He had knee surgery, but James, you're, you've been kind of a huge, um, you know, huge Carey Price fan and a, and a, and re relatively huge, um, not huge, but huge, uh, you know, relatively big Canadians fans, Canadians fan, you know, since we kind of started this podcast 
And I just want kind of your thoughts on the story. And, and I'll ask you a, a separate question after that, that doesn't have to do with the immediate story, I guess. I think that him doing this and checking himself into the player assistance program is important for the NHL and the world to see. I think it really um, takes apart the whole toxic masculinity aspect of this and how men um, can't be vulnerable and ask for help. Cause I mean, right now in sports, just like the painkillers thing, men are expected to go throughout their career and play and not ask for help and just do whatever they can to grind it out and show out and do the best they can. But that's simply not the case anymore. Whether it be the pressures given to you by the fans, your family, the coaching staff, your teammates, or the aches and pains that you go through on a day-to-day basis in the grind. Toxic masculinity shouldn't be a thing anymore. And Carrie Price, who is asking for help, is going and doing that right now and is showing the world that that's okay to do. And it's, it's huge coming from a guy like him. Like Carey Price is the face of the franchise for Montreal Canadiens, which is one of the biggest NHL teams ever because it was part of the original six. Like this is the one of the teams to go to, to go play for. It's historic. He's the face of that franchise. He's asking for help. Carey Price, when you see him, when you watch him playing games, you see him yelling at his teammates because he expects better. He's not a soft dude. Nobody would ever lab- label Carey Price as soft. He's the kind of guy who wants to be out there, hit with the puck, 60 times a night because it makes him better. And he's the guy right now who's asking for help. That speaks leaps and bounds for how far the NHL and men have come. I mean, this is this is huge. People may think he's weak for doing so. I don't, I, I don't at all. I think that's as strong as you can be. It's much like therapy when you need it, like on a data for anybody else. It has this bad um, connotation to it that therapy is bad for you. But no, you're really strong for asking for help. We can't do this alone. Life is hard. This game is hard. Everything you do in life is difficult. And everybody can ask for help every once in a while. And Carrie Price is doing it and making it seem like it's okay. And I love that. And I love what his wife came out and said on social media too. He's gone through a lot of struggles. He's doing his best. He's doing his best to support his family. It's not just for him that he's checking himself in his player assistant program. It's for his family. It's for his teammates. It's for the betterment of humanity. Like, as small as this is, it's a microcosm of our life. Asking for help is okay. And it makes that okay to be. I, I absolutely wholeheartedly agree with you here. Um, what, what probably makes this even more, and I guess you kind of alluded to it, was this isn't a, now, no, no offense given to these types of players, but this isn't a, a fourth line grinder. This isn't, a, a, this isn't an AHL player who's not, you know, maybe in the, in the spotlight. Um, you know, every single game. This is Carey Price, one of, if not the best goaltenders in recent, I guess, in re- relatively recent history, plays for the Mo- Montreal Canadiens, who are the most historic franchise in the NHL history. They're like the Yankees of the of the, of the the NHL, right? Um, and I think that that speaks more volumes than anything. And, and I, you know, I, I, th- I th- you know, our thoughts and prayers are with Carey Price at this point, and we hope that he can get the assistance that that he needs. Uh, it's a minimum of thirty days, so. Um, it, but it seems like it's sounding like they're expecting to him to be back before the turn of the year, so we should see him back, you know, before twenty twenty two. But again, these things take time, and we don't really we don't really know, and we would never want him to rush anything that he that that something like this. So, um, we are, you know. I think I speak on behalf of everyone um, and James kind of alluded to it. You know, we, you know, we, we find it very brave with Carey Price's, what Carey Price has done 
And I think that it really opens up the doors for younger players in this game. Um, kind of what Robin Leonard has been kind of, you know, advocating for Carey Price did it in a different way um, and showed the world that, you know, doesn't matter how big you are or how strong you think you are. You, everyone still may need help, but um, separately. And now we don't want to, you know, diminish this whole story though. There is a hockey situation that, that is coming, you know, they did lose their, their starting, starting goaltender. So James, do, do you, how do you think that Habs will manage this? Do you think they're going to be okay for the next few months? Um, or, you know, it could be the whole season. Do you think they're going to be okay? Do you rely on Jake Allen? What's your thoughts? I think they'll be okay. Um, I don't think they'll be as good as they would be with Carey Price, but I think that Jake Allen is a good little stopgap to stop the bleeding at this point in time. I mean, let's not forget that four or five years ago, Jake Allen was a starting goaltender with the Blues, and he did relatively well. And in recent memory, like this last year in Montreal, he had kind of a down year by his standards. His uh, save percentage was 0. 0.097 or 0, 0.907, and his goal against, goals against average was 2.68, which is higher than what his averages for his entire career but that can be attributed to being in a new team he was with st louis for so long and now for the first time in his career he's with the canadians a new group of people a new goal to goal coach and i mean they did fire their coach midway through the season there's a whole lot of turmoil in that scenario with the canadians and he did his best he managed his best Carey price like i said earlier he's the kind of guy who gets better with the amount of playing time that he gets given and so towards the end there it was the Carey price show jake allen didn't make didn't spend one second on the ice towards the end of the season and during the playoffs it was all carry price that gives jake allen a lot of time to rest up get ready for this season so i think in a way carry price taking all those reps towards the end of the season is going to be helpful for jake allen and the canadians coming into this new season without carry price well yeah i, I mean i agree i think they're gonna be fine i, I don't think I, it is a huge loss. And I, and I, I just hope the team is able to manage it from an emotional level because th these types of things can impact your play. Um, but if anything, they may, they may step up to the occasion and say, Hey, we need to play for our goaltender who, who, who did something for himself for once. <laughs> um, so, uh, but thank you, James, our resident Habs fan. Um, well, kind of, <laughs> I always enjoy it. Um, third thing I want to talk about has to do with ESPN and TNT, you know, finally taking over the reins um, of broadcasting this great sport we love. John Tortorella is taking a seat as an analyst at ESPN, among others. And Wayne Gretzky is taking a seat at TNT. Going to be kind of that uh, the Shaq position, you know, where Shaq sits with TNT. He's, he's going to be that kind of analyst, kind of over, overall for the entire league. Um, Eric. You, you, you wanted to talk about this. So how do you think these guys are going to fare in their new roles? Yeah. <clears throat> John Tortorella is going to be great. Um, he was probably the best media coach we ever saw. Just how worked up he would get um, when someone would ask a stupid question, which seems to be every single time he talked with the media. Um, and it was the best. He would just get up and walk away when he didn't want to answer a question. I guess he can't really do that anymore <laughs> in this role. It, I, however, it would be hilarious if he just got up and walked away from somebody if he was all heated. But, you know, he used to call out his players. He used to call out players on the opposing team. He even tried to go to the Flames locker room one season and fight the coach in the hallway. So he's got a fire under him, and I think he's going to be great for that TNT lineup. Um, yeah, I think John Torrell is going to do a good job. That's what I'm going to say real fast there. Real, yeah. real fast, guys. 
I know Alex watches uh, Ted Lasso. Did anybody else watch Ted Lasso here? No. But this Tortorella become, becoming a broadcaster reminds me a lot of Roy Kent going into his pundit role as a soccer pundit because that, that's hilarious. You guys need to watch it, and anybody who's listening needs to watch Ted Lasso because this situation fits it entirely. Alex, do you agree? I do agree. It seems like a disaster just waiting to happen at some point, <laughs> which is just awesome. Uh, before I talk, before I ch- chime in about uh, torts, uh, did you have a thought on Wayne Gretzky? Yeah, yeah. So Wayne's going to be interesting. I mean, the great one, the go to hockey, will be sitting in front of us on a live TV broadcast, you know, often moving forward. Um, you know, it's like, I feel like, especially for us, you know, we were, we were extremely young during his, his reign and his time of being great. So, you know, now this is like a glimpse to see his other side, uh, see like how he is when he talks about the game. Um, and I feel like, you know, you just don't see as much or hear about him um, as often anymore. Like obviously about all of his records and things, but now to just see him live in front of us, it's going to be cool. Um, he's just seeing him paired up with the dude like Tortorella is just going to be a funny combo. I think they're two different style guys. So I think, uh, I think Wayne's going to be just an interesting, but uh, good, good scenario for this. Yeah. See, <laughs> I look as an Oilers fan, I actually see a lot of Wayne Gretzky, a lot more than you guys would just because he was involved with the team, um, you know, quite, quite often, quite, you know, um, consistently, but his move to TNT is quite interesting. I mean, he's a lead studio analyst here and look, he's the nicest guy ever. He's the most genuine hockey player to ever walk the plant, walk the earth besides maybe um, Mario Lemieux. I just don't know if he's going to be right for it, guys. Like, I don't know if he's going to have enough oomph, like, like where he can actually call out a team. I just don't know if he has, if he's going to be able to do that. I hope he can. I, I just, I don't think the guy could hurt a fly. I think the guy is like the nicest guy ever. So I do worry about that. Um, and unfortunately, and pro- unfortunately for him, I, I look at who all of these studio personalities are going up against and they're going up in terms of, you know, the sport equivalent, which would be, you know, your Charles Barkley and your Shaq on the other side. And those two guys absolutely kill it on that, on that broadcast. Like, I love it. I hate basketball and I love watching those two guys talk. They're bantering and they talk shit on the other team on teams and players. I absolutely love it. I just hope that Wayne finds a way to do so. Um, just, just really quick. I'll tell you guys who, who's going to be part of that, um, you know, part of those, um, studio analysts, you know, rosters. We have Liam McHugh. He came from NBC, Wayne Gretzky, obviously Anson Carter's coming from NBC. Rick Tockett, um, is a very, he's the kind of player that, uh, that I would love, that I'm going to love to see, um, you know, up on that analyst uh, stage. And then Paul Bissonnette, we love him because he's, uh, he's a, He's our guy from uh, uh, Spit and Chicklets podcast. Hilarious guy. Um, and then pretty much the entire NBC lineup is coming over to do color or other analyst, uh, on other analyst work. So that's great. Um, on ESPN, we have Mark Messier. Um, we have Mark Messier as an analyst, which is, I think that that's one of the biggest regrets they could get. Uh, Barry Meros, obviously, Rick DiPietro, among others. Um, so it, I think the lineup that they have between ESPN and TNT is, is excellent. Um, and Eric, were there any any guys that kind of intrigued you besides those two? Um, yeah, I mean, Bissonette, Bissonette will be good because he's, you know, with all those other other people involved, Bissonette's kind of like that goon style player. 
um, you know, was always on the fourth line in, in his NHL career, but he has a lot of good stories and insights. So he's just going to be a good personality, I think, mixed in with everybody. It seems kind of like, you know, the NBA with TNT, they do one of the best jobs, you know, with Barkley and Shaq and all the different personalities. So I've, I hope Bissonette can kind of contribute to that and get the NHL and TNT up to par with that. For sure. We all need a class clown and Paul Bissonette fits the, fits the money perfect there. Yeah. Um, finally, to round it out with holy puck moments, um, this is actually kind of a, an old story, but we are about to hit the, hit the season, so we might as well talk about it. Um, October already has a higher scoring clip um, than, than t- your typical year, simply because teams are just kind of getting to the groove of things. Coaches haven't established their defenses. Um, the scoring just kind of opens up in October, and it's just statistically the case. Um, but Tyler, we do know that the NHL is cracking down on, on an already written rule of cross-checking. Um, there is a, there is a video out there. I don't know if you were able to see it that kind of outlaid what is now going to be called and what obviously should have been called in the past with the idea of increasing power plays, increasing scoring and decreasing, um, the amount of injuries, um, you know, that, that we see. So anything that exerts any type, I mean, any type of force with your, with the stick is going to be, you know, called instantly, even though it's really, it's always been very, very subjective. Something that a lot of newcomers to this game question me all the time about, um, including Kylie, (laughs) she is the biggest proponent for this. I'll tell you that. Um, how do you think this is going to impact the game? Do you think it's going to impact the the beginning of it as we try to, you know, figure things out? And do you think it's going to sustain, or do you think we're going to kind of figure it out and everything's going to be back to normal in terms of the amount of power plays and goals that we're going to get? Yeah. I mean, I think, obviously, I think it's good that they're cracking down on this rule. Um, it's, it's been a written rule for forever. They just never really, ever really enforced it kind of similar to the the discussion of four and seven on a baseball that we talked about earlier. It's always been illegal, but they never really actually did anything about it until recently. So it's kind of a similar situation with, with, with cross-checking. And I I know watching hockey and I see the replays of battles in front of the net, how much cross-checking actually happens, you know, and there's always like, sometimes they call it, but it's a very rarely ever called penalty. Um, So it'll be interesting to see how often they do call it. Apparently it's going to be quite a bit and they'll in the first month or so, there's probably going to be a shitload of cross-checking penalties called because the longest time players were able to kind of get away with this penalty. And now if they're going to do it correctly, if the NHL does do it correctly, it's going to be a lot. So there's going to be a lot more uh, power plays. Um, So I think goals are going to definitely increase even more than they already do, obviously because we'll have more power plays due to the the more penalties. And I think also, you know, players are going to adjust eventually to the new rule. They're going to cross-check less. They're going to play more by the rules. So that's going to eventually kind of even out. But I also think that once that evens out, you know, it's going to be a little bit easier to score goals in front of the net um, because of the cross-checking kind of eliminates that uh, physicality that makes it almost impossible to be on your feet, to be able to get your stick down and score on a rebound or a tip or whatever. So I think it's going to be good for the game. Um, like I said, the rules are new. They're, they're, they're just enforcing it. Uh, there's going to be that kind of period of time where it takes an adjustment by the players and the coaches and and the refs to kind of figure it all out. Um, So during that time, there's going to be a lot of people talking shit about it. Probably a lot of people that are going to be complaining about the the rule change, but that happens anytime there's a big change in any sport ever. So you just kind of got to get through that kind of uh, that, that grace period, uh, so to speak. And players will adjust, you know, you you, like if the refs enforce the rule and they're consistent, players will adjust their game and eventually things will even out. Um, but I do think it's a good thing for the game. Um, I think it'll decrease injuries. I think that's the, the biggest thing here. 
Um, and I, it'll, it'll increase scoring for sure for, like I said, those, those two reasons, mainly because the power plays will go up and two, it's going to be a little bit easier for guys to uh, get a better, better handle of the, of what's going on in front of the net. So um, I think it's to be good. For sure. Um, I think, I think you're, you're, this is a, this is definitely the, the NHL's way of protecting their stars because their stars are typically the ones that are put in these positions. Um, look, it's going to change. It's going to change how you defend someone. And I think that's the biggest question. Are you going to have two hands in your stick at all times? Or are you going to have to take your one, one hand off? And it's a different type of game when you do that. Um, and addressing to that is, it is going to be interesting, but I think these guys, apparently these guys have already been, been practicing it. Uh, if you listen to some of the, uh, some of the news and some of the rumors that they're already, they've been practicing this for a long time. They've also been already practicing power plays like weeks ahead of normally of normal time, simply because they expect so many, so many of them, um, so we'll see how it goes. Um, I'm, I'm hoping it does. I, I'm hoping it doesn't make it so that we're, we see power play for 20 for 60 straight minutes, but I do hope that, you know, we do see a little bit of more open ice, um, in terms of, in terms of the game It's speed it up a little bit. It gets people engaged. And, um, I guess the biggest thing is, are they going to keep it for the playoffs? But that remains to be seen every year. Holy puck. That's all I got. <laughs> Ben, thank you um, for bringing up those topics to their, you know, they're harder topics to discuss, but it's good that we, uh, we mentioned them on this podcast and, you know, throw in our two cents with it as well. Um, now, you know, we got the season starts tomorrow, so we're going to have a lot more hockey to talk about everybody. Um, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we got Alex and he's talking the NBA startup, which will also be, you know, our next season starting soon. Hello, everybody. We have returned. We have Alex, our NBA guy, and we're continuing to go over the NBA startup because the season is right around the corner. Right, Alex? Yeah. Uh, next week or, you know, next after hockey. So we're getting pretty close here. Uh, we're finishing out with the top eight teams in the Western Conference. Uh, let's just get into it. So starting at number eight, um, they technically finished below this, but because of the play in. That's where their seating ended up. Uh, the Memphis Grizzlies at 38 and 34. Uh, out, Grayson Allen, Jonas Valanciunas, and Justice Winslow. In, Stephen Adams, Jarrett Culver, and Chris Dunn. Trade in. The Memphis Grizzlies, uh, kind of an upstart team. Um, you know, they've not been the greatest as of late. They've now got John Morant, you know, one of the young superstars in this league. What do you think um, they can do this year following up, you know, a playoff berth last year? Yeah. Um, I, I, I really don't know what to expect from this team. I mean, I mean, they're very gritty and they're, and they're a team that, that is kind of known for that. And, and they just, and, and they're always in an underdog position. They're, they're an up and coming team. They were just one of those teams and they were put in a position that, you know, they had to fight an uphill battle to get that eighth seed and they did it. And that shows that to me, that shows a lot of, you know, shows a lot of heart and, and, a, and, a, and an ability for a team to come together, which is kind of the, the makings of a, a of a team and a culture going forward. You just need to get the pieces around that. Um, the question is whether John ja Morant and the rest of the Grizzlies can step, you know, can take a step forward. I mean, here's the thing you're in a, you're in an incredibly hard conference. I mean, you're in a very, very, very hard conference. And if it wasn't for the, in my opinion, the cockamimi play in tournament, 
you're, you're not even making the playoffs here. So, you know, you have a lot of teams that you're going to have to beat. you have a, you have an interesting team um, and the teams at the bottom that were fighting for the bottom are, are getting better too. Um, they, 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 um, Eric Bledsoe got traded away, which was, which was kind of interesting. Um, they did acquire Jared Culver uh, from the Timberwolves. He's a young guy. He could be a guy that they're just going to, that, that they, they can groom and he might be a perfect, you know, project for this organization. And that that's, that's intriguing, but I, I just don't know if, if they're going to be able to make enough noise. I mean, I think, I guess that's a big question. Are, are they going to make enough noise where they're going to be flirting with a, with a playoff spot? I mean, with the, with the 10 team playoffs, you're going to assume so. Um, but then you got to get through the, you know, the, the playing tournament. And I, I just don't know if they have enough to make a big step, just given the fact that this division is just so hard. Yeah. I feel like they kind of fall into that play in tournament level somewhere between, you know, seven and 10, um, you know, as we know, the playing tournament will happen again this next year. You know, I, I just don't know if they're better than any of the seven teams in front of them. I think the Warriors, you know, definitely seem to be a better, you know, generally a better team than the Grizzlies who finished, you know, technically ninth last year. Um, you never can count out the Spurs. So we'll have to see what happens in Memphis. Um, third year of John Morant, though. So I'm kind of, you know, this might be like a huge, huge step up year for him, even though he's been fantastic so far. But we could see a big push out of him uh, moving on to, you know, kind of a surprise seven seed, the Los Angeles Lakers finished 42 and 30. Uh, their whole team's different. So give me, give me a second. We'll go through these. <laughs> um, out uh, KCP, Alex Caruso, Andre Drummond, Mark Gasol, Montrez Harrell, Kyle Kuzma, Dennis Schroeder. That's not even everyone uh, in Carmelo, Anthony, Trevor Reza, Kent Bazemore, Wayne Ellington, Dwight Howard back. Uh, Malik Monk, Kendrick Nunn, Rajon Rondo back, Russell Westbrook. Did you get all that? Cool. <laughs> uh, the Lakers, Tyler, championship or bust? Yeah, I mean, that's what they're going for. I mean, uh, uh, LeBron's only got a few more years left. He wants to be as competitive as he can in his final uh, few years here of, of his career. As you mentioned, only four players are returning this year from last year's team, which is pretty crazy considering, I mean, they didn't have the best season ever, but they were a playoff team and only four players are coming back. Um, and then even only two years re, 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 removed from a, from a uh, championship. So um, there's a lot of question marks, I think, with this team because they're all so new. Um, and it's a question of whether this team can gel in the court right. A lot of people are criticizing that uh, Westbrook trade. Is, it, people are questioning if that's actually going to fit in their system. Um, but they got a lot of guys back. I mean, Howard and, and, and Rondo are two veteran players that were on that 2020 championship team. They're back. Um, so we'll, we'll see what happens. I mean, obviously they're one of the oldest teams I think ever to ever, uh, be to, to be an NBA team. So that's going to be a huge concern in terms of, you know, how effective they will be, how healthy they can stay. Uh, my biggest, you know, guy that left that I'm super sad about is, uh, Alex Caruso. Um, I think they should have found a way to keep that guy on. Um, unfortunately he's gone. So like I said, th this team's older, obviously a lot of experience. Um, I do think this Lakers team is better than they were last year. Um, is it, it is championship robust. Are they championship level? Maybe this Western conference is super competitive. I think there's a couple of teams that are better than them in this conference. Um, my biggest concern, like I said, is health and how this team is actually going to gel on the court. Um, I think they'll figure it out and they're going to be competitive and they'll, they'll definitely be a favorite to win the conference. Um, but like I said, with just, how many new pieces they have. It's really hard to predict how they're going to do because there's just so many questions on how this team's going to go. Yeah. It wouldn't surprise me if they kind of got off to a slower start, but 
I think if you look at their roster and assuming health, which is already an issue, Trevor Reese is out for eight weeks. Uh, and one of those returning guys and their youngest guy, Talon Horton Tucker is having thumb surgery, surgery, something with his ligaments. So he's going to be out for a while. So they're already dealing with injuries, obviously as an older team um, and a team that dealt with a ton of injuries last year. You know, if LeBron James and Anthony Davis get hurt again, they're not going to win. That's just part of the deal. But um, if they stay healthy and if everything goes right, this is, I personally think, the best team in this conference. I don't know if they'll win it all, but they seem to have the most complete team. And again, any team with LeBron James and Anthony Davis is a title contender. That's just part of the base, you know, fact about this team. So we'll have to see what happens. If they're healthy, they should be incredible, but it's going to be, there's going to be a lot of question marks, especially with their age. Definitely. Um, moving on to the team that finished sixth, also with a 42 and 30 record Portland trailblazers um, for them out. Carmelo, Anthony, Zach Collins, Harry Giles, Derek Jones, Jr. And Enos Cantor in Ben McLemore, Larry Nance, Jr. Dennis Smith, Jr. Tony Snell and Cody Zeller. Dame almost left this post or this uh, off season. There's a lot of, you know, talk about that. There's been rumors of uh, Ben Simmons, CJ McCollum trade. This kind of feels like the last year for this trailblazers team to really like get it going. Uh, but traded going back to you again, what, like, what do you think is going to go up there going on in Portland this year? Yeah. Um, I, I think, I think the, um, the key is they need to figure out defense. Uh, defensively, they were, they were ranked 29th in efficiency. You know, they gave up 115.3 points per 100 possessions. That, that, that ranked just ahead of the Sacramento Kings. They're great offensively. I mean, they're top five. They're top five offensively in the last three seasons. That's, that's fantastic. But when you, can't, when you can't keep it out of your own hoop, you're not, you're not going to do very well. Um, and so... I, you know, it looks like it looks like Chauncey Billups is going to say it has said it's not going to be optional for this team to play um, effective defense. Um, and if they figure that out, they're going to they're going to be at least, at least making steps in the right direction. Um, but all eyes are on uh, Dame Lillard at this point. Who knows what's going to happen? He he did seem like he did want to get a trade, but then he's it kind of seems like he said, you know, the team, you know, I want to stay here, but the team needs to make the right steps. And it's a part of that is is the defense needs to figure it out. Here's the thing. Again, very similar to my last uh, to my last team that I talked about. This team seems like they're in that tier that that seven to seven to ten tier. I mean, I don't you know because I think that the the six above them are just too good. Are just too are are, are just too good for them to to break through unless they can figure it out defensively. Maybe I'm underrating them, but um, you know the the likes of the Lakers, Suns, Jazz, Nuggets, Clippers, Warriors, um, even the even the Mavericks. I could even see you know. Um, being better than the uh the the trailblazers unless they can just figure out their their defense um because no matter how many you know points you can throw up if if, if you can't keep it out you're, you're you're doomed to fail once again so let's see if they're able to fi- figure that out question for you what are your confidence levels in chauncey bills being a first-time coach i mean i not huge considering this team has had such issues gelling on that side. I, 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 to be honest, I don't know much about him. So, but anytime there's a first time coach, there's always a little bit of a, of a, of a learning curve and a, a little bit of a, um, uh, a period where you're adjusting. And if the team doesn't buy in, he's going to become ineffective right off the bat or right off 
the bat. It's whether he can, it's whether he can find a way to, you know, get these guys to buy. And Alex question for you. Uh, So Chauncey, but like as Trayton alluded to multiple times, defense is the key to this team right now. Chauncey Bills wasn't the best defensive player on his team when he played. It was Riff Hamilton. Do you have any confidence that he can fix that defense? No, I don't think okay. they have. I mean, it. I don't know. It's not really if, if he can do it or not. I just don't think they have the pieces to be that great a defensive team. Dame Lillard's never going to be a great defensive guy. CJ McCollum, you know, he's not shut down. He's not terrible. And, you know, but like, I mean, Larry Nance Jr. Never been great defensively. Ben McMillan never been great defensively. Like, they feel like a team that they're going to win a bunch of shootouts. They're going to, you know, it wouldn't surprise me when they score 130. And then if one of those guys have an off night, they score like 92 and lose by 30. Um, I think this Trailblazers team is going to end up somewhere between the six to nine seed. I, people always doubt them and they always end up playing much better than, you know, preseason predictions assume, but I don't, still don't think they're in that tier of like, upper echelon Western conference teams. And I don't think their defense will be fixed. Okay. No, no comments. Cool. All right. Moving on. <laughs> uh, the Dallas Mavericks finished in fifth, also with a 42 and 30 record. Um, they didn't do a whole bunch this off season out JJ Redick. He is retired in Reggie Bullock and Frank Nitikina or however the fuck you say his name, uh, both coming from uh, the Knicks. I think at one point uh, James, the Dallas Mavericks have superstar Luka Doncic and Tim Hardaway Jr. and Chris Stops. Kind of, uh, they didn't do a whole bunch. They, what do you, what do you think about this Mavericks team? I think the biggest thing that isn't really with the players; it's more the coaching staff. Jason Kidd is now in as the coach. Rick Carlisle is out. Jason Kidd, you may remember him from a couple years back as a coach, and for some reason. Whenever I think of Jason Kidd as a head coach, I don't think he was that successful. But then I looked back at his stats. He was a coach for four full seasons in the NBA and went to the playoffs three times to those teams. He was also kind of like the, the catalyst to make Giannis the player he is today. He was the one that put Giannis at point guard. Giannis was never a point guard. He was just this tall, lanky dude who was playing power forward. But then Jason Kidd saw something in a minimum point guard, and now he's a god. Giannis is that good because – Jason Kidd put him in a position to succeed. I think the biggest thing last season that was the downfall for the Dallas Mavericks, or the two biggest things, is that Rick Carlisle and Luka Doncic did not mix, and Luka and Kristaps Porzingis did not mix either. I think Jason Kidd can fix both of those things. Jason Kidd is a Hall of Fame point guard, and he's a relatively good coach. He just came off a couple winning seasons with the Lakers. He won a championship with the Lakers as an assistant. He's a Hall of Fame of a guy who knows exactly what it takes to be successful in the league as a point guard. So that's what, he, that's what is going to help him and Luca. And the fact that he was a Hall of Fame point guard playing on different teams and winning a bunch means he can manage different personalities and make sure everybody's happy. And that's what he's going to do with Jason, with uh, Luca and Christos Porzingis. Those are two superstars. I mean, Luca is a superstar. Porzingis is a star. He can make those two mix. And if those two gel together, they're going to be hard to stop. And right now, the way... I know that the way uh, Jason Kidd's offense works, it's more ball movement and finding the open guy and occasionally putting ISOs on Porzingis and Luka. But, and the biggest thing about the Dallas Mavericks, they got some good shooters. Tim Hardaway, Max Kleba, really good three-point shooters, spot-up shooters. And they even improved their defense with the addition of Randy Bullock from the Knicks, who was a key proponent to why their defense was that good. So I think they're going to have a pretty decent year this year, better than they did last year. 
Yeah, watching especially the playoff series against the Clippers, it was kind of Luka or nothing. You know, a little bit of Tim Hardaway, um, you know, spilled in there. Porzingis was very hit or miss. So I, I kind of agree with you. I love the – I'm sad because I didn't want Jason Kidd to leave the Lakers staff because I liked having him there. But I think he'll be a good fit in Dallas. I mean, obviously, it seems to be point guards make good, um, you know, head coaches, similar to catchers making good head coach – coaches in baseball they run the offense they help run the defense it's kind of what a coach does you know so like it makes a whole lot of sense um i if their defense is still going to be a slight question mark I, if it's slightly better than it was last year which i'm assuming it will be james then this Mavs team should be better i think there's a decent chance they jump a couple of these teams that finished in front of them in last year's playoff standings um again this like now well now that they have a head coach this is now year four of Luca, i think that yeah. seems right three or four yeah i don't know how much better he could play other than finally winning an mvp it kind of seems inevitable pretty soon here um i think this mavericks team this is this is their chance thing i think they need to finish as a top four um in the west they seem to be on that path jason kidd hopefully should lead them there uh, moving on to the Los Angeles Clippers, they finished 47 and 25. Um, they did end up making the Western Conference Finals and then lost to the Suns. Um, out is Pat Bev, Boogie Cousins, and Rondo, and then Kawhi for he's not leaving the team, but he's injured and will be gone for I'd say minimum half the season. Um, in Eric Bledsoe, Harry Giles, Justice Winslow, Eric, your Los Angeles Clippers. You know, they've made a Western Conference Finals. I, you know, I think Clippers fans obviously were hoping for a little bit more than that. But with the Kawhi injury, um, that's still a pretty impressive run for them. Um, Kawhi's the best player on that team. There's no doubt about it. He's out for, you know, a portion of this season. And we've seen in the past when he's had long-term injuries, it takes him a while to kind of get back into it. What, where do you see this Clippers team going? And what are some realistic expectations for them? I see them uh, <clears throat> scrounging a playoff spot, maybe like a six or seven seed. Hopefully, you know, they could be in a play-in situation, but hopefully not. Hopefully they're a six seed and scrounge out just before that. Um, you know, not the longest off season for them. Uh, as you mentioned, they went, they went deep, but not deep enough. And so it's a shorter off season. Um, the claw will be down and miss most of the season, as you mentioned too. So I think they lost one core guy in Pat Bev, which scares me slightly because he was a big locker room guy. He was a big voice actually to the team. He held a lot of guys accountable, um, coaches accountable, everybody accountable. Uh, he's gone now, but at the same time, you know, there's always been that issue where they needed a true point guard. So I think, um, they did replace him in the sense where they got Eric Bledsoe coming in, um, a familiar face. He's been there before, but I think, you know, he's built up a lot of experience around the league and he is more of a true point guard. Defensively, I don't really know what to think about him, but um, I think they will be maybe a little bit better on the offensive side. But, you know, for them, realistically, it's look at hopes of making that like five or six seed hoping that Kawhi has a little bit of time to return and kind of get back in the groove of things, 
come playoff time and you'd hope to play like a Suns team or a Nuggets possibly um, first round, you know, you don't want to really see the Lakers first or, um, you know, any of those tougher opponents. So you want to see the Suns first? Yeah, I think the Suns, uh, they got a lot. The Suns were good last year, but every team they played, the the big dogs were out. You know, Anthony Davis was got hurt. He was out. Kawhi goes down. He's out. Uh, Jamal Murray was out in the Nuggets series. I'm not taking away a lot of credit from him. I'm just saying let's see them face a healthy full Lakers team or a healthy full Clippers team. I don't know if they get as far. So I don't know. Yeah, I mean – Basically, what I'm saying is you want you don't want to you probably don't want to see the Warriors first round or the Lakers. Um, you'd rather take a Suns or a Nuggets. That's kind of where I'm going. So fight for the sixth seed is what I'm saying. I kind of agree with you. Not I don't think you want to see the Suns. That part I disagree yeah, on. I think <laughs> their realistic expectations, I think, and is to avoid the play-in tournament. Um, you know. Their defense is going to take a hit without Pat Bev and without Kawhi. Fuck. What a uh, catch. <laughs> um, <laughs> without Kawhi and without Pat Bev, that's those are their two probably best defensive players. Um, you know, Pat, you know, Kawhi obviously shuts down um, you know, usually the other team's best guy. So I don't the Clippers, the six seed seems like the highest expectation, but it wouldn't surprise me if they ended up in that play in tournament. I mean, losing a guy like Kawhi, you saw what happened when the Lakers lost you know, AD and LeBron, they were the one seed through the beginning of the season and then dropped into the seven seed without those guys. So I don't know, Clippers fans, it might, it might be kind of a tough year after, you know, two years of excellence. So we'll have to see. Um, moving on to the Denver Nuggets. They finished also 47 and 25. They were the three seed out JaVel McGee and Paul Millsap in Jeff Green. They did not do a whole bunch Uh, Jamal Murray will eventually be back this season, but we'll have, you know, who knows what level he'll be at. Uh, Eric, we're going back to back. The Denver Nuggets, they have reigning now reigning MVP Nikola Jokic. Um, Where, where are they ending this season? Yeah, I think they end up kind of where they left off. Um, Whenever Jamal Murray returns, obviously will help them. Um, you know, they one of their big dogs is out, and Jamal Murray, he's going to miss time. Uh, Jokic is going to have to carry the team again. Can he do it for another season? And not a lot of uh, offseason maneuvers. A guy like Miles Porter Jr., like, he's really, really got it. He has stepped up each and every year, but now he really, really needs to step up. Like, he needs to be the next superstar for them. You know, they need another guy like him to rely on. Um, I think he is on the right path, but – you know, this team just needs to be consistent. They go in phases of being uh, pretty good and then other phases where they're losing to bad teams. Uh, fuck them also. You know, I just have that grudge against them. But um, I do. <laughs> I like Jokic. I like his game. Um, you know, he's he's one of the most versatile bigs out there. Um, I don't know, really know how he is defensively, but, you know, he's, he's kind of like a Tim Duncan style. He just always keeps scoring and he can shoot even better. So... For them, it's really building up chemistry before the playoffs begin, um, and it seems like they didn't do that last year because they got swept by the Nuggets. So they're uh, probably a five-six or a play-in, five-six or seed or a play-in situation is where I see them at. I think this Denver team is still pretty good. Um, I would assume they're going to be a top four. They kind of seem to be that for the last five years, but haven't really made that deep run in the playoffs yet. Injuries have been a part of that. 
Um, but you're kind of right. If, you know, assuming Jamal Murray comes back and is his former self right away, which is a big ask, uh, Michael Porter Jr. needs to be that third guy, that other big three for them. You know, they signed, they've got Aaron Gordon. He's been fine for them, I guess, but he's not, he's not Michael Porter Jr. He's never had that, you know, top, top level of the draft, you know, like potential. So I, I you know, I want to see the Nuggets go deep. This is, I feel like, kind of like we talk about the Trailblazers. This sort of feels like one of those last couple of years that they need to really push to go deep into the playoffs, um, or they might have to rethink some things. Obviously, a really tough Western Conference, you know, with the Warriors and the Lakers kind of, you know, other than the Suns last year, kind of controlling that. But um, moving on to the Phoenix Suns, who out of kind of nowhere finished second in the Western Conference, 51 and 21 ended up, you know, making the NBA finals, eventually losing to the Milwaukee Bucks, uh, out Tory Craig and JaVel McGee, Alfred Payton and Landry Shamit. James, uh, you don't want to meet the Suns in the first round or do you? Oh, I do not. The Suns scare me. It's like Chris <laughs> Paul effect, man. It's like, what are we cause I'm a Lakers fan. Let's just bet right now. Let's bet right now. What are you betting? Like what, what, what is uh, it? What let me think about it. <laughs> <laughs> this dude, this dude's just firing off bullshit over here. But but uh, the fact of the matter is, the Suns are a good team. The Chris Paul effect is ridiculous. It works kind of everywhere, which is insane too. Uh, Whatever Chris Paul goes, the team automatically gets better because he's a good leader and he's a good point guard, and they'll probably eventually be a good coach because that's just how the it, the world works. The additions that you just mentioned, I the one I love the most is Javale McGee, even though he was on Shaq and the Fool for a long time there. Uh, DeAndre Aiden's in the paint doing his thing, but then gets subbed out. And who do you have to replace him? You put in Jay Crowder at center to defend other centers who are seven feet tall and Jay Crowder is not. That was one of their weaknesses, their, their paint defense whenever DeAndre Aiden went out the game. JaVale McGee's in there now, and he's actually a really good defender. He may not be the smartest guy in the world, but he's a damn good defender, gets a lot of blocks and a lot of rebounds. He does the dirty work for you. And then to top, to top that off, you add Landry Shamit who will be a knockdown corner shooter. When Chris Paul drives and Devin Booker gets the ball in the corner and doesn't like a shot, pass it off to Landry Shamby, he'll knock down the three there. And then last but not least, the Alfred Payton signing too. That's huge. Chris Paul is 37 or something. He's older. He's not going to play 100% of the games. He'll probably take a couple games off like Kawhi did less last year and a couple years before that. Alfred Payton will step up and do a good job. He is younger, he is a little bit more athletic, and he has shown to be able to run any offense proficiently. Not the best, but enough to get it done. Uh, give Chris Paul a little bit more of a breather to preserve him for that long run because you don't want to be in the first round or the second round or the third round. Probably meet him in the finals. So good luck to the East team because the Phoenix Suns are going to be the team to beat this year out of the West. Okay. I don't know if that's 100% true. I'm just I'm taking a whole shot in the dark here, man. I was rolling, yeah. so I just kept going with it. <laughs> okay. I like that. I mean, good for you. Uh, yeah, I agree with the CP3 thing. I mean, it's kind of inevitable that he will miss some time, you know, whether it's rest or some slight injury. If he has a substantial injury, the Suns are probably fucked. But Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton are young enough that they can carry that throughout, you know, some CP3 missed time. Um, you know, and they've had now a year to learn from him. So, you know, obviously D-Book is a superstar. We saw DeAndre Ayton kind of come into his own this last year, hopefully for more growth from them. 
Um, but yeah, this Suns team is a definitely another top contender in this Western Conference. Finishing it out with the Utah Jazz. They finished first in the West with a 52-20 and 20 record. Um, they didn't do a whole bunch, but out Derek Favors in Rudy Gay, Eric Pascal, and Hassan Whiteside. Tyler, is this the year the Utah Jazz finally break through in the Western Conference? I definitely think they have one of the best shots in that Western Conference. I mean, they didn't do much in the offseason, but they didn't really need to. This team's already very good. They, they added a few death pieces there, as you mentioned. Uh, re-signed Mike, Mike, Mike Conley, who, you know, his jazz career didn't get off to a great start, but had a great season last year. Unfortunately, got hurt in the playoffs. That kind of contributed to their early exit. Um, but this jazz team is back, and they're going to be very, very good. Um, they're going to be I, – I, I think they're my pick to win the, the Western Conference. Um, if they can stay healthy, which is the kind of a cliche in basketball, if they can stay healthy – um, I think they have a really great shot. They're one of the most complete teams in that conference. Um, I think they're going to be back and they're going to be right up, up, up top with the uh, big dogs. Um, will it be the year? It's always hard to say in the West because there's so many great teams and it's, it's so hard to predict who's going to come out of that conference. But I think the Jazz have as good of a shot as anyone. And for, for me, they're, they're my favorite to uh, win the West this season. Yeah, re-signing Mike Conley, you know, another year in that system should be really beneficial to them. You know, Donovan Mitchell has turned into pretty much a guaranteed bucket. Um, uh, what's his fucking name? I can't remember the center's name right now, but he's obviously – Rudy Gobert. Rudy Gobert, thank you. Uh, he is a monster defensively, um, and any offense you get at him is kind of just an added bonus – I expect the Utah Jazz to be good again. You know, they seem to shine bright during the regular season and then kind of burn out pretty quick during the playoffs. So for Jazz fans, hopefully it's a more, you know, level season, I guess. I don't really know how else to put it, but we'll have to see what happens to the Utah Jazz. I don't know if I'm going to pick them to come out of the Western Conference, but we are going to actually pick our Eastern and Western Conference champions since the season is starting. Um, and I won't be here for the next two podcasts, but – so trade in Eastern Conference, Western Conference, NBA champion. Who you got? Um, Bucks on the East, on the West. <clears throat> excuse me, on the West, I have the Suns, and I actually have the Suns winning this year. Okay, so we got one Suns. Eric, same question. Um, I got the Warriors coming out of the West. Uh, they got Clay Thompson coming back. They've been somewhat of a doormat. They may just have the spunk. I hope it doesn't happen, but I don't know why. I'm just thinking that. And I got the Brooklyn Nets coming out of the East. Um, they were close, but not close enough last year. Does the Kyrie thing and worry you at all? What? Does the Kyrie thing worry you at all? Uh, they'll find a way around it. Around it. It's the NBA. Um, and I want neither team to win. So, uh, <laughs> Probably the Nets in seven over the Warriors. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I like that. Uh, James, same thing. So, like I was just talking about, and I was rolling and wasn't making much sense. I'm going with the Suns to win the West, be in the finals there, and uh, a surprise team that not many people will pick, but I should probably bet on sooner rather than later is the Chicago Bulls. I think they'll make it out of the East. They're a brand new team. Like, there's a lot of new players there. Nobody's going to really count on them to do much, and they might surprise some people, but just like the Suns did last year. The Suns will end up taking it, though. Okay. And Tyler? 
Yeah, I got Bucks out of the East. And then, as I mentioned earlier, I got Jazz, my favorite to win the West. And uh, I'll go with uh, the Bucks going back-to-back NBA championships. Okay. I'm going to go with the Atlanta Hawks coming out of the East. I'm going to go out on a limb. And I'm going with the Lakers because they're my team and I'm going to be hometown biased. And they're going to win. They're going to go. They're going to win. And they're going to get a real parade. And it's going to be magical. I hope so. Um, but Eric, that is all I've got. So we're we're done. The season's starting pretty soon, and then you know we'll get back to talking about the season as it as it come goes along. Thank you, Alex. Um, yeah, some more good insight, and yeah, the season is right around the corner, ladies and gentlemen. Just as Alex mentioned, as whenever hockey starts, you know basketball is about to start right after that. So when we return the MLB playoffs in full effect and Tyler will love to tell you about it when we come back. With health concerns on the rise, it's as important as ever to keep your people safe. Dimer isn't another BS COVID company. They've been developing their tech to kill germs and save lives since 2014. Dimer's original UBC products have won them partnerships with some of the best technology companies in the country and earn them a spot on Time Magazine's Best Inventions of 2020. Dimers started out disinfecting airplanes. Now they're in hospitals, athletic facilities, hotels, classrooms, basically anywhere people might have been sick. When it comes to keeping your players, employees, guests, and customers in your facility safe, trust Dimer. For TLDR listeners, they are offering free disinfection as a service in select areas. So that means they will come disinfect your facility for free. You can take them up on this offer by visiting dimeruv.com and at dimeruv on social media. Use code TLDR for your first disinfection as a service appointment for free. That's dimer like diner with an M as in Mike Trout. Ever heard of them? Kill more germs, prevent more infections, save more lives. D-I-M-E-R-U-V dot com. Oh, damn, not holy puck, but the MLB playoffs. Tyler, let's hear all about them. Yes, sir. Uh, Playoffs in full effect. Uh, It's kind of weird how the schedule works, so we're kind of when we do the podcast on Mondays, we're kind of in between series. So it's hard to predict the next round or talk about what happened because there's a lot of things going on. But um, <laughs> first, real quick, we'll recap the wild card games that we talked about last week. Uh, Boston pretty much took care of the Yankees easily in, uh, uh, in, in that wild card game. Um, so they went on to the ALDS against the Rays and the Dodgers won it off in uh, walk-off fashion against the St. Louis Cardinals. And we finally got that Dodgers-Giants series that we've all been waiting for for so long. Uh, but let's get into the division series that we got going on right now. There is one that has been decided. It was decided earlier today, the Rays and the Red Sox. The Red Sox won the series three to one. Uh, the Rays won game one, five, nothing. And after that, the Red Sox took over. Uh, they won 14 to five in game two. Uh, they won six to four in 13 innings in game three in a walk-off by Christian Back- uh, Vasquez. And they won in the bomb in ninth inning tonight as well with the Kike Hernandez sacrifice fly to seal the deal that Red Sox will be going on to the American League Championship Series for 2021, something that I certainly never expected to happen. Uh, so so congrats to Boston. Um, some interesting notes that happened in the series. Randy Rosarena, uh, I believe, came the second player ever, or the first player ever 
to hit a home run and steal home in, in, in the uh, same postseason game. Uh, so like I said, the raising off to a fantastic start after that, it kind of went, went all downhill uh, in game two. Uh, the Rays put up five runs in the first inning, including a Brandon uh, Luplo uh, grand slam. Uh, what's interesting about that is after he hit that grand slam, he got pulled um, because that's the way the Rays do things and they play these, these, these matchups and all these things. It's, it's very interesting. To, they play a very, very interesting game. Um, so, Traden, uh, you're going to cover this series, first of all. Uh, how surprised are you that the Boston Red Sox won this series um, and do you see them as a favorite or not as a favorite, but as a dark horse candidate to come out as American League champions? I mean, I, I guess I was pretty surprised mainly because I think the Tampa Bay Rays are, are a great baseball club. That being said, do I do, do I think that they're a dark horse? Absolutely. Um, this, this, uh, this Red Sox team is nasty. Um, and they've been playing nasty baseball through most of September. Uh, that brought that brought them that brought them into you know getting that first wild card spot. Um, and then so here's how here's how everybody's looking at the Red Sox at this point. They they are the major underdogs in, in the in the eyes of the entire baseball media and entire baseball fandom. Oh, they're not going to make the playoffs. They get a wild card spot. Oh, they're not going to beat the the Yankees. They beat the Yankees. Oh, they can't beat the Tampa Bay Rays. They kill the Tampa Bay Rays. Like. When are we going to start saying mm, maybe Boston's like not bad? <laughs> so, you know, when you're in a position like this, it, it's it's amazing that it's amazing to have that feeling because you're just playing baseball and you're loving it. Now, they need to figure one thing out, and that's giving up leads. If they continue to give up leads, they're not going to be as lucky as they have been, you know, in in some of these games. I mean, to be honest. The game three was pretty lucky. The fact that it was a that effect that it bounced off the guy and went and went over as a ground rule double. I mean, if that doesn't bounce over, they lose that game. <laughs> I mean, that's it's that simple. Um, but hey, they're they're getting timely hits. Um, it, it doesn't help, or I guess it does help when you're playing the most analytically bullshit team, and, and that's the Rays. Used to really respect them. I have, I have no respect for them anymore. Um, so. Oh, that's where I'm at. I mean, I, I think that, I think that, you know, I, if I were the Astros who, who presumably is going to win, hopefully they don't, hopefully the, the, the Sox figure out the other Sox figure out a way. Um, I'd be fucking worried because you can't cheat this time. <laughs> that's very true. Um, yes. Yeah, so you, you have you, have about- you seen the reports saying about the scandal that's coming out that they might be cheating again? Yeah. Oh, probably. There's, there's some pretty, talk about that. Pretty interesting stuff there. We'll, we'll, we'll get into that. Um, but yeah, with uh, in terms of uh, Tampa Bay, uh, you mentioned the kind of the over analytics. Um, we kind of saw that in full effect here in the posters. I mean, I mean, the, the Rays have been doing this for a long time, kind of out of necessity because they're a team that you know they're not a high payroll team. They have to play the game in a way that not a lot of teams um, can because they kind of have to because they're you know. And that, but the thing is that it's an organizational buy-in, right? Everyone kind of buys into this system of where they play matchups. They you know they they expect on offense and, 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 and on, on, on pitching, they made it all the way to the world series last year. Um, they won a hundred games in, in the regular season doing it um, this year, obviously getting knocked out in the first round of playoffs does not look that great. You know, I think classic example was loop hitting that grand slam off Chris sale in the first inning and then getting pulled because a uh, right-hander went in uh, for the game and loop being a right-hander, you know, matchy, you'll that lefty righty matchup is what you want, you know, but, it's the analytics versus the baseball field, right? So, like, what do you really do? You know, trading, do you, do you 
agree with the, how the Rays do this. Obviously they've been successful, but I think at times maybe it doesn't. Should they, you know, it, it's kind of one of those, you blame it when it doesn't work. You, you uh, glorify it when it does work. So like kind of what's your thought on how the Rays do things? Yeah. It, 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 it shows that you're an amazing regular season team who here gives a shit about the regular season. As long as you make the playoffs, you better fucking do something with it. And they never fucking do. Guess what? Last week, last year, they did the same fucking shit and took out Blake Snell. Same fucking shit. The guy's rolling. Why stop? This guy just hit a, a, a grand slam in the first fucking inning. You take him out. I don't, I don't, it doesn't even compute in my brain. I don't even, first of all, and I don't know baseball that much. I don't even believe in pitch counts. If a guy's rolling, just let him fucking roll. Like, let him fucking go. Like, like why disrupt? Why disrupt that? Like, there, there, there's just something there that if the if a guy's feeling it and he's and he's throwing heat and he's fucking getting the and, and he's fucking doing nothing wrong, why, why disrupt that? Because as a player, you become confused. You're like, okay, so what the fuck am I supposed to do then? Like, you have no idea if 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 it's good enough. Because it's all about the analytics. It's all about the numbers. And that's just not how sports is always like. And that's not how the postseason is always like. It's going to get you great numbers in the regular season, which is fine. Fuck, fuck the regular season. Maybe Tampa Bay should learn from their other Tampa Bay team. The regular season doesn't matter. Just get to the postseason and then do something with it. Don't be idiots. And they're idiots. And they deserve to be where they are. Damn. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, it's interesting the way that they, they really over – they put a lot of their, you know, eggs in the basket on the analytics. You know, I think there's a healthy balance in the two. Sometimes the rates can be a little bit too analytical. And I think sometimes it comes and bites in the ass. You got a, a team like Boston that plays with so much heart and so much grit. And you got a manager and an organization that there that believes in that kind of play. And that's why the Red Sox, I think, have advanced the next round because they got their dogs in there. And they ride, like you said, they ride those guys, you know, uh, Nick Pivetta there in game three in those extra innings. You know, that guy, not the greatest pitcher ever he's okay he has his moments but he was he was he was rolling last night they just kept he just he just kept um, going out there shutting it down i think that's how you win a postseason baseball and the i think the red sox clearly are above that you know despite the 100 win raise and they're out red sox are still playing baseball um so let's move on to the other american league division series going on right now it's the white sox and the astros uh the game today game four got postponed uh due to rain so they'll be playing that tomorrow um, potentially so the, or the, uh, Astros are up two to one in the series. Uh, the Astros won the first two games at home, uh, six to one, nine to four, the White Sox won a shootout last night, uh, 12 to six. Uh, so very, very high scoring series. Um, so Eric, I want to ask you, do you like these high scoring, uh, offensive kind of postseason games? Um, does, you know, does that draw you more in to watch more baseball when you see these scores like 12 to six, nine to four? I mean, uh, you want to say the more scoring, the better. But, you know, as I've been sitting here watching this Dodgers-Giants game tonight, it's actually pretty interesting. You know, it's just one nothing. They keep getting close, but not close enough. So, I don't know. It's it's kind of that similar in the hockey world. You know, sometimes seeing a, a one nothing game or a 2-1 is actually uh, more intriguing and interesting because there's a bunch of crazy saves that happen or posts that get hit, things like that. It's – I don't know. I'm, I'm mixed about it. Um, you know, just fuck the Astros. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, 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 mean, I kind of agree with you on, on both counts, obviously, you know, I'm, I'm, this is probably the series I'm, I've been least intrigued in a because of the Houston Astros and, but B because the games haven't really been that close. Like there's been, you know, maybe the, for the first half of the game, it's, it's pretty close, but the last few innings though, it's like one team pulls ahead cause they score, you know, they put up a five spot in one inning and, 
it kind of, it kind of just stays that way. And, you know, I, I guess I, I do love offense, but I want good close postseason games. We haven't, there hasn't really been any close games in this series yet. Um, so Eric, so what do you think, you know, the, there's two games left in the series, the White Sox, you know, they lost the first two. They have to win three in a row. They took care of business last night. Do you see this White Sox teams winning two more games to take this series from the Astros? Or do you think, or do you think the Astros are going to move on to face the Red Sox in the ALCS? Um, unfortunately, the Astros are going to move on. It's just, even when, the, if they are, or if they're cheating or not, who knows if they really are right now, they still might be, but these guys just find ways to win in the playoffs. You, you can't take that away from them, I guess. Um, so, you know, it's just they have the experience. They still have a, some of those core guys that were there that, you know, were with them for those deep playoff runs. So they just continue to roll through teams. It's pretty scary, and I think they will be playing the Red Sox. Yeah, unfortunately, I have to agree with you. And speaking of that, you know, cheating remark, the, the White Sox – did accuse the Astros of cheating once again. No surprise. Um, I don't know if, if you guys kind of saw the quotes and all that stuff, but, you know, as one of the White Sox relievers, you know, kind of citing how the Astros put up a lot more runs and hit a lot better at home versus what they did on the road. But it was kind of funny because if you really look at the stats, they're not that different. And the Astros still put up six runs on the road against the White Sox. The White Sox just put up, just doubled them up and put up and put up 12. Um, you know, obviously the, the Astros have, 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 a, have a reputation. And they're going to be accused of this stuff for the foreseeable future. I don't know whether there's, there's stuff going on. MLB says they're cracking down on it. I hope they are. I don't think there is actually cheating going on, but it's the Astros. So you never know. So you, you can kind of take that as you want to take it. Um, so let's move on to the, uh, the, the, the National League. Uh, let's talk about the, uh, the Braves and Brewers first here. Um, this series. So we talked about the, the high scoring offense. This series is the exact opposite. There's been nine total runs combined scored in the first three games of the series. Um, it's been a pitching duel after pitching duel after pitching duel. It seems like the only way you can score runs in the series is, series is by hitting the ball over the fence. Um, there's no kind of offensive rallies going on. Um, so the Braves won their second game in a row. Um, so they're currently up two to one on the Milwaukee Brewers. Uh, they got game four tomorrow. So the Braves have the, have the possibility of being able to close out and advance to the championship series for the second consecutive season. Uh, so James, uh, you're covering this series for us. Uh, so we mentioned the the high scoring offensive shootouts versus these these pitchers duels, these really close games. Um, you know, compared to the offensive you know games that you see in some, in some of these um, um, American League games, do you like watching these pitchers duels as you see in this uh, Braves and Brewers series? I think it's super interesting considering the fact that during the season the Braves had the fifth highest batting average in the National League at uh, 244. They had the second highest home run totals in the league at 239, and the third high, third in RBIs with 762. So the Braves are a pretty good offensive team. But on the pitching side of it, the Braves and the Brewers were third and fourth in lowest ERAs, respectively. Uh, the Brewers were at 3.5, and the Braves at 3.88. So offensively, the Braves are just really good. And on the pitching side of it, they're both about the same right there. So it's kind of crazy to see how this is playing out and how the Brewers are actually getting the Braves to play their game. But going back to the original question here, it's like it's way more suspenseful to have a low-scoring game, especially when it's not your team playing. And that's what I enjoy. So it's no longer anxiety-ridden for me. If this was the Angels in the postseason, I'd be shitting bricks, drinking a lot of alcohol and just trying to get through the game. But right now I'm watching these and I'm like, this is fun. This is cool. 
close games, any one hit can make or break this team. It's exciting to see. Yeah, I agree. I kind of like, you know, in postseason, those low scoring games is, you know, some people can view that as boring, but I, it's, it's for me exciting because any inning you come into one swing makes the difference, right? It, it, it could be a one nothing game. Like you see right now going with Dodgers giants right now, one swing is, is making the difference. Um, and those are exciting. Those, those keep you on the edge of your seat for every single at bat because anything can change. So I personally like the, the, the low scoring pit, uh, pitchers duels. Um, I think it's super fun to watch this, this uh, Brewers brave series is really interesting. I think these are two very evenly matched teams. Um, However, you know, as you mentioned, the the Braves, I think, have the advantage offensively, and they have shown they've shown it so far. They've been able to kind of break through that uh, really tough Brewers pitching staff when, when they need to. On the opposite end, the Brewers offense, you know, I kind of talked about it all year in my power rankings. They're not they're kind of an ant offense. You know, they're definitely not an offense that you look at as a as a championship caliber offense. And I think it's definitely showing they haven't scored, I think, in 19 straight innings now or something crazy. Um so they got shut out in back-to-back games. They've scored both the runs on one swing of the bat. Um, so James, you know, so the Brewers are down two to one. They're going to be on the road uh, tomorrow in Atlanta. They're playing for their lives right now. Do you see the Brewers offensively being able to score enough to win two straight games and advance to the NLCS? I, I definitely don't think so. Uh, let's just look during the season here. They were the second lowest in batting average in the NL at 233. And that season OPS of 713, which is 11 out of 15 teams in the NL. So it's hard for me to believe that they're going to turn around for these next two games when their 162-game sample size says otherwise. They've scored two runs in three games. Nobody in the Brewers has more than two hits. There's This this ain't happening. And, I mean, like, going back to it, the Braves have a really good pitching staff as well in the bullpen and the starting lineup. Like, they're, they're going to be hard to hit off of. And if they can't match that with their offensive intensity, they're not winning this. The Braves are moving on. Yeah, I have to agree with you. I just I don't see how this Brewers team is going to be able to put up enough runs. And, you know, as great as the Brewers pitching staff is, you know, this Braves pitching staff ain't too shabby either. You know, uh, they've definitely come on strong the second half of the season and have definitely proven themselves to be a very good, uh, formidable pitching opponent. So I think matchup-wise, I think they match up well against this, this, this Brewers team. And I, I think that it's going to – I, I think they're going to close it out tomorrow. Um, I, I, I think the Braves will advance, um, but you know, it's posting the baseball, never know what will happen. Uh, so let's move on to the final series here. The, the, the best, the best, the Dodgers and giants first time that these historic rivals have met in the postseason. Uh, so far, I think it's lived up to the hype. I mean, incredible crowds, incredible atmosphere on both parks. Um, so game one start off in San Francisco, the giants shut up the Dodgers for nothing. Logan Webb pitched an absolute gem. The Dodgers had no answer for him all night. Uh, Buster Posey hit one into McCovey Cove in the first inning. Classic, classic game. Uh, game two, Dodgers bounce back. Uh, they put up nine runs against the, the Giants. Uh, Cody Bellinger, who's been struggling all season, came up huge with a bases loaded double. Um, here in game three, which is going on right now, in the top of the ninth inning, it's one nothing Giants. So we're back to a, back to a pitcher's duel. Uh, so it's been it's been quite a good game against Scherzer and uh, Alex Wood with the, with the two starters. And now the bullpens are battling out. Both are shutting it down. It's it's really really close here. So. Uh, we'll see what happens. Maybe by the end of the podcast, we'll have an answer for you on who wins game three. Um, but Alex, uh, well, first of all, I want to ask you about the, uh, the, the wild card game that Chris Taylor walk-off home runs, just kind of your uh, emotions after that one. Uh, I believe the first words I said were bring on the fucking giants, I think. And it was probably at a louder decibel than normal people would do. 
great. It was a great game. Um, Scherzer didn't have it. Um, you know, he was kind of all over the place. Bullpen was insane. But yeah, Chris Taylor, like the second he hit it, I knew it was gone. Um, I think pretty much everyone knew that right away. Um, I mean, Alex Reyes just hung that slider and, you know, a professional hitters, if they get contact, that's going a long way. So that was a fun game, uh, quite nerve wracking. Um, I don't think I slat, sat down for the final, like bottom of the ninth. So after hit, after hit the homer, that was nice. Sit down again, you know? Yeah, that, <laughs> that game was not good for my health. Um, <laughs> that's for sure. But I, for me, it was like, I kind of had the same reaction. I was like, let's like, you know, let's take the giants on. Like, I was just so happy that they're able to win that game so we could get this Dodgers Giants series. Um, so how great is it seeing these two teams finally meet in the postseason? Is it living up to the hype? Are you, are you into it as much as you thought you would? Uh, Kenley Jansen just struck out uh, Brandon Croft here to end the ninth. So we're going to the He's bottom so of the ninth good. now. Dude, Kenley Jansen's the man. I've been telling you Dodgers fans all season, he is the man. Yeah, you, the rest of your fans are fucking stupid. Remember yeah, that? Yeah. All right. <laughs> yeah, so we're going to the bottom of the ninth. It's one nothing. so we'll see what happens here. But yeah, Alex, Dodgers-Giants postseason, living up to the hype? Yeah, oh, 100%. Um, I mean, obviously that first game went the Giants' way. Logan Webb throws an absolute gem. Dodgers bats just couldn't get going. They come back, uh, you know, game two. Julio Arias with the first knock to get the first run on, you know, don't fucking intentionally walk to get to Julio. That's all I'm saying. Silver Slugger could possibly be in his future for this season. Um, It is living up to the hype. I'm bottom of the ninth coming up. Obviously, we really need a run. So, (laughs) yeah. Hard to focus on whatever you're saying right now. <laughs> yeah, pretty, uh, pretty wild this Dodgers offense. Zero runs game one, nine runs game two. So far, zero runs game three. Very, very inconsistent. But uh, nonetheless, great, great series. Super fun. I'm loving the, the rivalry, the atmosphere is on both sides. It's, it's absolutely uh, – it's, it's, it's super fun to watch. I think no matter what happens, I'm going to be excited that we actually got to experience this um, in, in our lifetime. But as a Dodgers fan, obviously, we want the Dodgers to win. So hopefully we, we get that, we get that ninth inning comeback here or a series comeback, depending if the, if the Giants do take this game three. So Alex, how do you see the rest of the series playing out as we're heading the bottom of ninth here in game three, you know, the Dodgers are on the, on the verge of uh, being down two to one in the series. Um, obviously game five, if that does happen in, in San Francisco, how do you see this uh, playing out here? Yeah. If the Dodgers don't come back and win, I think it's, I feel like it's going to game five. I just think the Dodger bats are too good at home. Hopefully it's not super windy tomorrow, which has been a really weird kind of aspect of this game. Um, I just, I just don't think the giants can put them down like in back-to-back games. Obviously we saw that in San Francisco, they couldn't do it in back-to-back games. So if they don't come back, um, I think it's going five. If they do come back, I think they're going to win tomorrow. I think you ride that high, you come in, you're at home, you, you know, you fire it up. And if not, like, kudos to the Giants. If the Giants do end up winning this series, they've been an amazing story all year. I really don't want to say this because I don't want the Giants to win the World Series, but it kind of feels like whoever wins this series is winning it all. Like, it's kind of felt that way all season. These have been easily the two best teams all season. I mean, you know what? This Like, a Braves team or this Red Sox team, you know, they're, they're riding high, and we've seen, you know, we've seen teams – under you know underperformed during the regular season and then get hot and go through the postseason but it kind of feels like one of these two teams is going to win it um this, especially if tonight the Dodgers feel like they're lurking like honestly they played a better game than the Giants have Scherzer threw one bad pitch 
he had 10 Ks. If it wasn't for Brandon Crawford being the best defensive shortstop in baseball, <laughs> the Dodgers probably have like four runs already. Um, yeah. And like Steven Duggar made a nice catch. I don't know. Bottom of the ninth. Let's just, we'll see what happens, but yeah, <laughs> just got started. Chris Taylor's up to bat right now. So uh, we'll see what happens. So we're to end it now. So we can kind of focus on this bottom and ninth inning. Um, but yeah, that's all I got. So we'll see what happens guys. Um, obviously next, this time next week, we'll, we will have the championship series set. So we will see where we're at, but let's just hope for more great postseason baseball uh, one out in the bottom of ninth. <laughs> um, so uh, yeah, that's all I got for, 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 for this week for baseball. Thank you, Tyler. Uh, baseball is interesting now, guys. It is finally the playoffs, uh, not the long, strenuous season. The marathon is somewhat over, but the marathon continues. Uh, now it's part of the sprint, which is the end of the marathon for baseball. Um, <laughs> there we go, Trey. <laughs> I got you. Um, yeah, James looked at me like I was an idiot. Trade and agreed with me. Um, Have you run a marathon, a bro? So, like you don't sprint at the end of a marathon. You can't. If, to live. A guy in front if you, you want to win the marathon, <laughs> you're just trying to live, bro. Have you seen Tyler try to run a mile? Look, we're not that's, talking that's about like at. we're not talking about peasants like us. We're talking like Olympics. Like those guys <laughs> are like trying to win something. Oh my god, uh, the Giants! Two players almost Whoa. literally just fell into the crowd. Um, but anyways. Uh, one more segment, uh, after we return last but not least, James will go over our waiver wire, um, and fuck fantasy. We'll be back. <laughs> Everybody, we are back last but not least the NFL waiver wire is week five is, has concluded, um, Fuck fantasy once again. That'll be the last time I say it on this podcast for tonight. James, what's up, man? I think you might say it multiple more times. But we'll see. Just quick rundown for what happened this last weekend. Uh, I won and I improved to three and two. Alex won big against Traden and a come from behind win. Alex is now two and three and Traden is now three and two. Tyler lost by maybe 60 points. Wasn't even close. 20 points. So Tyler goes to two and only lost by 23. How many points? 20. Oh, wow. Only 20 points. I was wrong. Still lost. <laughs> He's still two and three <laughs> at the end of the day. Doesn't and matter. Eric, a.k.a. Fuck Fantasy Eric, lost once again. He improves or gets worse to zero and five, <laughs> a.k.a. worse than the league. Sorry, by far. guy. <laughs> uh, going into this week six, I believe. Uh, teams on by Atlanta Falcons, New Orleans Saints, San Francisco 49ers, thank God, and New York Jets. Starting off with a quarterback position here, I picked Trevor Lawrence to be my quarterback streamer of the week. He's owning 42.9% of leagues. He put up 21.7 points on 23 completions on 33 attempts, 273 yards, one touchdown, one interception, seven carries, 28 yards, and one touchdown. He's getting better and better each and every week, and he's getting more comfortable. You can see that from the get-go. And he does have a lot of rushing upside because in the last two games, he's had a rushing touchdown. Up next, he plays the Miami Dolphins. And they were not the defense that we expect them to be at all. He gave a five touchdown pass to Tom Brady. And yes, Tom Brady is really good. But overall, for the entirety of the season, they're the 30th worst team against the pass. They've given up an average of 305 yards per game. And they're the fifth worst defense against fantasy quarterbacks who give up an average of 22 points per game. So, Eric, what do you think about Trevor Lawrence? Uh, he's doing okay. I mean, for being on the Jaguars and losing every game, he's not doing terrible. 
However, it is nice to see the top college player who barely ever lost before, along with fuckhead Urban Meyer, lose every game so far. So two guys that always felt the taste of winning, winning the big games, are now feeling the taste of losing every fucking game. Um, but guess what? Fantasy-wise, you know, he's done well three out of the five weeks in our league. He's put up 19.08 points, 17.76 points, and 21.72 this past weekend. So I guess fantasy-wise, he's three for five uh, so far. I mean, I got Kyler Murray who did dog shit this week. This was the first time he did bad. If he would have done good, I probably would have actually won this week. So do I pick him up? I don't know. Maybe we'll see. Todd, what do you think, man? Uh, yes. I mean, he's not a bad option, but Hey, I think there's a couple other fantasy quarterbacks out there that I think might be a little bit better. Uh, Matt Ryan, for example, remember that, remember Matt Ryan, you know, this, this guy was, was a stud, you know, and he's only owned in 30, about 30% of leagues. Um, had a rough couple first two weeks, but since week two, he's thrown eight touchdowns, zero interceptions and, and has averaged 22 points. Um, you know, Trevor Lawrence in that, in that time frame has only averaged 14 points. He's a little bit more boomer bust, right? So I think Rat, Rat Ryan, you know, after the slow start in those last three weeks, I've shown a little bit more consistency. I think he's been playing a lot better and, and he's proven to be a very good fantasy quarterback. Um, obviously not the same Matt Ryan as maybe a few years ago, not on the same good of a team as the Falcons, but neither is Trevor Lawrence. He's not on a very good team either. So I think you're, you're, you're kind of picking from, from quarterbacks that aren't on super great teams. But I, for me, Matt Ryan is more reliable. And as I mentioned, I think just he's showing that I think he's starting to, you know, kind of have more of a better fantasy um, production the, 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 the last few weeks here. So I would look at uh, Matt Ryan. I like that. Move on to the running back position. I picked Devontae Booker from the New York Giants, the New York football Giants. Owned in 3.8% of leagues. He put up 20.8 points last week, 16 carries for 42 yards and a touchdown, and also added three receptions for 16 yards and a touchdown. Saquon Barkley, I don't know if you guys saw his ankle, but it blew up. He is out for two to four weeks at a minimum, might be even a little bit longer than that. And also Daniel Jones might also be out, which means the Giants will run the ball way more. Or they'll pass it to, you know, a short little curl route or post route to Devontae Booker out of the running back position, out of the slot. Devontae Booker is going to get a lot of work. Up next, they play the Rams. And yes, I understand that is a tough defense. But Booker is literally the only offensive option at this point. Like I'd mentioned, Daniel Jones, concussion may or may not be back. Barkley's going to be out. Kenny Galladay's out to week six with a knee injury. Darius Slayton has a hamstring injury. And Sterling Shepard also has a hamstring injury. So, really, he's going to get a lot of points because he is the only guy. And he's going to get all the work. 100% of snaps, all the targets, all the carries. Devontae Booker's the dude. Tyler, what do you think? Yeah, I agree with you for all, for all the reasons you said, you know not exactly a household name, but he's on a team right now, a lot of injuries, you know, it's kind of their only option. They're obviously going to fill those, those, those holes with other guys, but I mean, you don't know what we're going to get from them. You know, I, I think, I think Booker put up a great uh, a week last week. I think he's proven that he can step in there and, and, and fill in. Um, and I think during that time when he's, when he's going to be that RB one, I think he's a great pickup. I think, especially for me, well, I'm struggling to find a second running back on my team. Like I'm, I'm, I'm probably looking at this guy right now um, to be a more consistent guy that, that I can rely on because it seems like every time I pick up someone or put someone in a the lineup, they do shitty. The guy I bench goes off for a crazy amount of points. So I'm struggling finding a running back. So I might pick this guy up, 
We'll see. Uh, and hopefully he can do well for me for at least a couple weeks because, God damn it, I'm sick and tired of talking about running backs because they <laughs> – there's like, there's, like, five decent running backs in the league, and, and like, everyone else is like, you don't know what the fuck you're going to get. So I don't know what – I don't know what to do. <laughs> Welcome to fantasy football. Yep. Jaden, what do you think? I like your pick. I got a better one. But I like your All pick. Right. Okay, let's hear it. Daryl Williams is going to be leading the running back core in – uh with the chiefs um uh, with uh with our boy um Clyde Edwards Hilaire being out at least for next week look I like the offense for the Chiefs a hell of a lot better than I like the Giants I like the offensive line better I like the I like the all all, all that's going on there um to be fair they are playing a a well what I thought initially was a um was a very good um, Washington football team defense has kind of coming off the, off the cliff a little bit. They've been kind of in the decline in my opinion. And I, I think I talked about it a couple weeks ago. Look, we're, you're also playing, you're also playing on a, you're also leading the back of a team that just got, in my opinion, embarrassed in their own, in their own barn on Sunday night football. Those guys, the, the, these guys are going to be so hungry. And we, we know the chiefs have one of the best offenses in the league. That's, that's a given. Um, and, the fact that they got completely fucked, like fucked last game last night, they're going to be hungry to come back and get back and get back in the group of things against a team that is, you know, eh, to me. So I think Daryl Williams is a big, is a big pickup. Um, just given the fact that you got a very, very strong offensive line, you have a very strong um, offense to be f- the one thing that, you know, Devonte Booker probably has over him is the fact that to your point, he's going to be on every single snap. He's going to be the only person that they have. But I just don't know if if the offensive line is going to be good enough to give him what he needs. That's all. Uh, like that pick. To be fair, to make myself feel better, I did send these picks out before Ceh got injured. So yep, it's that's late. This day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, moving on to the wide receiver position here, I picked Rondell Moore out of Arizona. He's owning thirty eight point two percent of leagues. He put up fourteen point seven points. Uh, five catches on six targets for fifty nine yards. Also added three carries for thirty eight yards. He's basically the number two slash number three receiver on that team after uh, DeAndre Hopkins, and he's fighting with AJ Green, who is washed. Eric, AJ Green has not scored one touchdown yet, dude. So it looks like fifty bucks will be coming my way relatively soon. Wait, what? You start off fifty bucks <laughs> that AJ Green would have eight touchdowns. <laughs> well, it's he's still podcast. got you know a lot more time. He does have a lot more time. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't think it'll be it'll happen. Um, Rondell Moore started off strong with 13 targets in the first two games. He's kind of fallen off that a little bit. Uh, but the, he had six targets against the 49ers this last weekend. The Cardinals' offense is extremely explosive, and the defenses will typically shade towards either doubling up DeAndre Hopkins or stacking the box against Kyler Murray, which more often than not leave Rondell Moore to be wide open. And it's clear that Cliff Kingsbury likes Rondell Moore because he's been giving him carries on top of having him get targets. So it's just trying to get the ball into a playmaker's hands. And what you do, you run them or you pass them the ball. Up next, they play, they play the Cleveland Browns, who's typically a good defense, but they just gave up almost 400 yards through the air and four touchdowns to the Chargers. Could be suspect. Who knows? Alex, what do you think? Well, yeah, so they are playing the Browns next week, who are, you know, got kind of the defense kind of got destroyed by Justin Herbert, you know, possible MVP candidate. Uh, unfortunately, they're playing also against Kyler Murray, who's probably the MVP candidate right now. Um, so pick up Rondell Moore. Um, I think he's the number two above AJ Green, above Christian Kirk. They use him all over the field. He's incredibly quick, 
And obviously, Kyler Murray is having a hell of a season to start. I don't see why this can't continue against this Cleveland Browns defense, who, you know, we all assumed would be really, really good. But just like you said, they just gave up a ton of points and a ton of yards to the Chargers, who, you know, granted, Justin Herbert is playing out of his mind right now. But Rondell Moore seems like a guy who is going to get a lot of targets, runs, should have, you know, a couple touchdowns. Not every game, obviously, but we'll get into the end zone. Pick him up. Eric, what do you think? Yeah, so I had him, uh, claimed him off waivers, kept him <laughs> for one week, and then dropped him. Um, didn't play him once, also because, you know, he uh, he had, like, uh, I think it was week three, he went off, he scored, like, 24 points, and then I pick him up. I play him. Um, I sat Kareem Hunt that week. Kareem Hunt had 30 <laughs> points. And then uh, Rondell Moore had six points. That's probably on me, not on Rondell Moore, but I dropped him. No grudges held against him. But, yeah, I actually do agree with Alex. I think he's on the uprise in the fantasy world. And he's about three for five um, so far. He's got 10.8 one week, 24.4. And then last week or yesterday, 14.7. It's kind of weird, though. It's just it's up to Kyler Murray if he just dishes it off to him. Um, Kyler Murray is finding him a lot in the red zone area. So, yeah, he could be a good pickup. I already dropped him, though. So I think it's bad luck to pick up somebody twice. I don't know. How about you try it and figure it out? Maybe it'll just turn your luck around. You finally win one game. I might give up. Got nothing to lose. Yeah, seriously, man. You're at the bottom of the barrel there. Moving on to the tight end position, we got Hunter Henry out of New England. He's owned in 35.6% of leagues. He put up 19.5 points on six receptions from eight targets for 75 yards and a touchdown. Tight end and pass catching running backs are pretty much the quarter, a rookie quarterback's best friend, and that's exactly what Hunter Henry is. He was a great pass catching tight end when he was with the Chargers. He was their number one guy after Antonio Gates left, and he's as of late, he's kind of had a ton of injuries and had COVID to begin the season, but he's finally getting back into it. And you can see the comfortability level of him. And we all know that Belichick loves the tight ends. Gronk, Aaron Hernandez, like Belichick likes to throw it short and look for his tight ends in the end zone. And Hunter Henry is a good pass catcher and a good blocker. So far this season, he's averaging five to six targets per game, which is great for a tight end because typically tight ends are just touchdown dependent. But this guy, he gets targets, he gets yards and touchdowns. Um, and he's also had a touchdown in back-to-back games right now. Up next, he plays Dallas, which we all know is not a good defense. Dallas just gets into shootouts like no other. They give up an average of 15 points to the tight end position. So Hunter Henry looks like a really damn good pick. Trayden, what do you think? Yeah, man. I mean, look, Henry and Jonu Smith were going to go back, back, you know, back and forth on who's going to take that, who's going to take that uh, starting t- uh, tight end spot. Henry's turning the corner. He's, he's the guy right now. Um, he's broken the 30 yard barrier in all games this season. It's huge for a tight end. And again, you have, you have QB, you have QB Mac Jones, who's really starting to come into his own. He's, he's improving. I mean, he's not, he's not blowing off like, uh, um, Justin Herbert, but you know, in his rookie season, but you do, you, you are seeing Hunter Henry, you know, be that security blanket that Mac Jones needs and he's going to continue to be as the, you know, he's going to continue to get those touches. You're playing the Cowboys and then the Jets. Like talk about a sexy pickup, juicy pickup, pick them up. If you need a tight end, cause wow, you're going to get points. Oh, love it. Alex, your tight end just went off for 40 points, man. What do you think about Hunter Henry though? <laughs> I like Hunter Henry. I just think there's a lot of pass catchers that get a lot. And that's part of the Belichick offense. It was under Tom Brady and it still is under Mac Jones. 
everyone gets involved. And Dallas is four and one. Their defense is not as terrible as it was last year. It's definitely picking up. Um, so I can understand if you want to go get them. Um, I'm going to go kind of out on a limb here and go Zach Ertz as someone to look at. He's obviously been a very incredible tight end in the past. They are playing the Bucks, but the Bucks have a have a great great defense. But because their run defense is so incredibly good, teams pass on them a whole lot. Jalen Hurts is having a great year. Dallas Goddard, I think, is questionable coming into this game. Watch out for Zach Ertz. He might have a blow up, blow up game. Or he'll have zero points. It's one of the two. <laughs> <laughs> going big, going home. Zach Ertz is not a name I've heard in a very long time. Like that pick. Eric, that is my segment, man. Thank you, everybody, for listening. I hope this helps. Thank you, James. Um, who knows if I'm going to listen anymore about anything in fantasy. I may just give up because uh, I've been trying to be active as possible and look where that's gotten me. Maybe it'll help. Um, it's it's kind of what Alex did last year. I think he stopped looking at his lineup and he won like three games in a row. So I might pull that same maneuver. Um <laughs> But yeah, uh, other than that, everyone, that's what we got for you tonight. Episode 68 in the books. Um, just as always, you know, thank you for listening. If you're walking down the street and you see a random person that thinks they, they may need to know, know more about sports and pop culture, take their phone from them, uh, open it, unlock it, and then uh, follow us on their podcast app um, or just spread it by word of, word of mouth either way. But, uh, yeah, we appreciate all you guys for listening, all the feedback, and we will continue to bring it upon you guys with all the information.